Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host and Glossy senior reporter, Hillary Milnes, and with me this week is Maggie Winter, the co-founder of apparel brand, Air. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Hillary. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming in. So for those who are unfamiliar, tell us a little bit about Air. We'll start with some background. You guys were used to be part of Bonobos, which is pretty interesting. So tell us how it started and then how you kind of spun out as your own independent women's brand. Sure. AIR is a women's uh, clothing brand that launched online in 2014. AYR stands for all year round, and that really is the ethos of the brand. Um, We make clothing that you're going to wear day after day, season after season, year after year, regardless of trend. Um, It's really high quality clothing in really low maintenance, easy silhouettes, and it is the opposite of fast fashion. Great. So you were under... Describe your uh, air's relationship with Bonobos. So you were incubated by the by the company. Um, what is how did that sort of set the brand up to be independent on its own? Um, we were so lucky. You know, it really is a testament to uh, sometimes it's what you know and sometimes it's who you know. And we were fortunate enough um, to have met Andy Dunn, who's a total visionary pioneer when it comes to um, creating digitally native brands. And um, he had the great foresight um, to see that there's opportunity to create um, direct-to-consumer brand for uh, a, a new woman. And so within Bonobos, he uh, allowed us to incubate air. And it gave us the opportunity not just to um, build a brand that we felt so excited and and proud of, but it also gave us the ability to learn from Bonobos' experience. Um, By the time Air launched, Bonobos was a seven-year-old company, and we got to uh, benefit from all the wisdom of sort of those first-generation pioneer brands like Warby Parker and and Bonobos. And, um, you know, to have that intel, not just the, like, the, the stuff people say in interviews, but the true day-to-day internal successes, struggles, wins, challenges, to see that play out in real life gave us, I think, an enormous um, advantage. Right. So what do you think is the biggest difference between this this Generation 1 Bonobos Warby era of digitally native brands to the Stage 2? Uh, you guys and, and all the brands who sort of started, I would say, like 2012 and after, uh, what, what, what did they learn and they, they could kind of sp- uh, pass along to you? I mean, it's not sexy, but capital efficiency is probably the biggest takeaway um, that a brand launched in 2014 um, would would benefit from versus a brand that launched in 2007. Mm-hmm. When Andy uh, and Brian first launched Bonobos, you know, Facebook was the Wild West and it really was like... Um, you were building social platforms and social communities and brands together. And um, it's, you know, incredible how brave they were um, to uh, to see the opportunity. But it's also, um, uh, 
it's also um, a different time now. So, you know, there's that a saying that I loved. I heard it from an investor. Was, the pioneers get the arrows. The settlers get the gold. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there has been a generation of brands that's been, um, that's tried a lot and spent a lot of money to try a, de- a lot of different um, approaches towards audience acquisition, which is ultimately uh, the biggest hurdle for any retailer, whether you're online or offline or old school or next generation, getting people through the door, whether it's um, physical or proverbial is the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, we've had the benefit at least of learning, okay, that's a great way to spend $5 million of a marketing budget in a year. Let's not do that. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a great point. And I, like you said, it's not sexy because it never really is. What's uh, most <laughs> going to be valuable to the company isn't something that people want to talk about that much. But but that's the thing that lets the company live. And that's the thing that keeps people loving it, you know, and um, it, it's uh, it's a really competitive time right now in retail and the rules are changing daily and um, year over year. It's a completely different environment, different landscape. And so, um, you know, survival is like is real and you have to have a, you be, have to be able to run on your own business. Mm-hmm. You don't want to run on your last round of funding. Right. And so how many um, rounds and how much capital have you guys raised so far? So um, I guess I should go back to the beginning because we have um, a funny story. It's like Benjamin Button. Okay. We are a startup that didn't start as a startup. Uh-huh. We started as a team within Bonobos. And we were given the incredible opportunity to create the brand that we wished existed. I mean, imagine somebody just hands you, um, okay, hey, we've got um, amazing developers. We've got a, uh, we've got ops and fulfillment, and we've got financing. And really, all you have to focus on is what is the product you wish was out in the world, and and how would you like to experience that product? You got to really comment the the this as a consumer. And um, so it was great. It allowed us to launch Air.com. And uh, we, in our first year, we had this incredible momentum. Um, my partners are, uh, at that time, I had two partners. So Jack Cameron is our, um, uh, she designs everything. And she's just this incredible, incredible um, designer. And her background really is in denim. That's like her biggest passion and her biggest love. And um, my other partner, Max Bonbrest, comes from PR, fashion PR. And so we've got product and storytelling together. And um, so before we launched, we begged our denim factory in L.A. to make us 300 pairs of a jean called Jack's Jean, mm-hmm. um, presciently named Jack's Jean because <laughs> it is it's still our best-selling jean. And we rented a loft in in um, the garment district for two days and we invited all of our friends and our family to come um, shop the jeans and we said we'll give you a little bit of a discount if you just come bring friends check it out try them on let us know what you think give us feedback and we sold out of all those jeans that was in November um, and so by the time the site properly launched in February we had a little audience you know mm-hmm. we had a group of people who were aware of us who had told friends about um, the product and so we had a, a great first year. And in our second year, um, we started wholesaling a little bit to Nordstrom. And um, towards the end of that second year, Andy Dunn, who's the CEO of Bonobos, said to me, um, you know, this is, uh, this is really exciting. You've got demand. You've, um, 
you've got distribution, um, but Bonobos is not going to fund air anymore. So um, you have the opportunity, if you if you would like it, to um, spin air out, and we'll make it an independent company who will finance it. Mm-hmm. What What do you think led to that decision? What, was it just the right time? Yeah, I think it. I think. Um, I think it was looking back it was the most fortunate thing at the time. It was a huge challenge, but looking back, it it's the most fortunate thing to have um, a live business. So you have proof of concept. Um, you have the ability to fundraise on an actual business and not just on an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it allowed Bonobos, of course, to focus on on their core brand. So for us, we then had the challenge of finance forming a company financing a company, building a website, finding a, wor- a working space, building a team, um, you know, negotiating the separation and contribution of assets from our parent company. And we did all of that in about 90 days. And um, so that started sort of the second iteration of AIR as an independent company, which mm-hmm. has been the single most transformative thing for us. Mm-hmm. And and so you said that 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 involved building it up, not not from scratch, but what was the next, once you were like, okay, we're, we're not being incubated by Bonobos anymore, what do you do then? What was your big priority after right after that? Um, it was it was basically those like four or five things that I just mentioned were all of equal import. Uh-huh. So um, we had this really fortunate opportunity to start our company and then very quickly I feel like we earned our stripes in this trial by fire where there is a finite end date and all these things had to be done simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And it was um, the steepest learning curve and it was also um, you know, the, it's the thing that we as a team are the proudest of. And, and that's when we, um, we got our fourth uh, partner um, and his name is Zandy Rich. Mm-hmm. He comes from a business development background, did strategy and business development for Theory, was at Goldman Sachs and uh, Wharton Pryor. So he um, really complimented Max and Jack and my focus, which is on brand and product and on the customer mm-hmm. uh, experience. And, and Zandy comes in with a, a really complimentary skill set. So um, we're a, a four-person you know, founding team. Mm-hmm. And so you didn't raise, did you raise capital after that? Yes, we raised capital as part of our spin-out. We did two rounds, um, actually pretty close together. One was um, a seed round, and the second was a Series A uh, that we did um, in in June of 2016. The best part is okay. all this stuff that we're talking about, the customer never knew. You know, unless uh-huh. she's wearing reading Women's Wear Daily or in the trade press, she wouldn't have known any of this stuff. And this is what I mean. It's like, this isn't the sexy part of it, <laughs> but it's the real talk truth. You right. know, it's funny because if you were to look at, um, you know, our company's three and a half year growth chart, you know, it looks the way you'd want a growth chart to look. It's mm-hmm. just the diagonal line, you know, to infinity eventually, we hope, right? Right. But if you were to look at the internal company's experience as as team members and as co-founders, it's more like the emoji growth chart. You know what I mean? Where it starts out oh, yeah. like, you know, we're starting from a moderate place and then it like takes a dip uh-huh. and then it shoots off the charts. Right. And that's sort of what our experience was like. We had this incredibly lucky beginning. We had this incredibly challenging transformative period. And then we came out of it with something that we couldn't have imagined we would be so lucky to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking to, you're now an independent brand. You're talking to investors and, and potential partners. At this point, we're surrounded by by direct-to-consumer brands. How do you say 
you know, here's why we're different while still managing expectations. It seems like what a lot of the, the early digitally native brands learned was there's so much venture capital now that, that brands 20 years ago had no access to, but it can be a blessing and a curse because you have to eventually meet those valuations. You're so spot on. Like, um, I think that we owe a great debt to the Andes and the Bonobos and the Warbies before for proving that um, it's possible to build a beloved brand um, digitally. The fallacy is that um, success hinges on infinite triple digit growth. Mm-hmm. When you go down that path, you are committing to uh, diluted, not just ownership, but diluting your brand, mm-hmm. um, forcing the brand to be broad from the beginning is so counterintuitive to the genius of starting a brand online in the first place. Mm-hmm. The thing that the internet lets you do is reach all the people who are just like you. You don't have to change yourself. Mm-hmm. Find a niche and really own it. Right. Independence, I think, is really the theme. That Independence is one of the most important values for our brand, for our team, for our company, um, for women uh, belong to this time that we are living in today. Independence mm-hmm. is so vitally important. Um, and even in a business sense, independence is important to us. We are still a founder-owned company, although we've taken in institutional capital. We are founder. Uh, we are, you know, founder-owned. Mm-hmm. And so, if you are um, f- focusing on a on one cons- a customer, not really wanting to be beholden to this idea that you have to reach everyone and go mass, how do you still scale and grow? And what do those goals look like for you? Well, for us. I think that the um, great thing, arguably the challenging thing, is the one customer we've chosen is women. Mm, yes. You know, <laughs> like if, if you were to ask me, like, oh, describe our woman, I'd be like, well, you know, she wears women's clothes. That's pretty much the only, uh, that's the only point of entry that we require if you're going to participate in air. It doesn't mean you have to be a woman, by the way. We've seen a lot of dudes look great in our jackets. Mm-hmm. But um, if you wear women's clothes, come check out air. It is... Uh, really more about a spirit than it is about a really specific um, type of consumer profile. Mm-hmm. So you're starting with women. How do you, uh, you mentioned customer acquisition is, it's one of the most expensive things. It's even, you know, so much more expensive than it was during the Bonobos era. How are you reaching these people? And how are you then, I, I think the biggest theme for, for these ne- uh, second generation brands is this idea of a community, people who speak out on behalf of your brand. How are you both expanding that as well as harboring the, the passion? I've, I've seen Arabic called a cult brand. So, so how did that, how did it achieve that status? It's funny. I want to give that, give it this like meta answer. Like, <laughs> you know, if you're walking, you know, maybe you're listening to this podcast on your way to work in the morning on the subway, or maybe you're making dinner at night, but what you're really doing, what every one of us is really doing is just trying to figure out how to be a person in the world. How do you be yourself among all the other selves out there? And as a brand, that's exactly what we're trying to do as well. And I think our biggest success has come from being true to ourselves. And I got to tell you, like the emails that we send out um, would not get approved at a bigger company. Mm -hmm. Somebody would say, you can't write that. You can't put that word in an email. You can't talk to people that way. That's way, that's not formal enough or that's, you know, someone's going to have a problem with that. And I think that, you know, uh, unapologetic, um, independent spirit, confidence, Mm -hmm. I guess, is a thing that uh, 
people connect to. It's exactly mm-hmm. what people connect to. And so digitally, I think um, our identity has come a lot from our voice. Mm-hmm. Um, in person, uh, I think um, opening up a shop for us has been so transformative. Mm-hmm. Jack, my partner, who um, is, she designs every single piece in the line. Our studio is just, our studio is like, a, you know, up the street from our shop in downtown New York. And so Jack will run back and forth um, almost every day at some point from our studio to our shop. And she, you know, she's the single best way to experience the brand. You know, she and I had worked together previously at another brand years ago, and and I wouldn't buy a pair of jeans without Jack's approval. And now everybody can have that experience. And so I think um, when we're able to connect uh, our, our, you know, when we're able to connect with people directly, either through you know, uh, something written or an, an in-person experience or an extension of ourselves, which is, you know, our, our amazing team at the shop. And, um, you know, it's funny how technology can actually enable us all to be more human. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's that closeness that, that these your brand and these types of brands have to their customers. You mentioned, you know, you're popping in and out of the store. Uh, you're, you're right uh, face up to it every single day. That's kind of how that community kind of starts. And so do you think that in order to grow, how does that, how does that factor in? How do you, do you see a way to kind of use these people that you have so much contact with in order to say, okay, maybe we're not going to, you know, instead of expanding into menswear, obvious you'll, you'll reach the other half of the population. We're going to take, you've seen our 2020 business plans, haven't you? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, not, 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 not really in depth, uh, to be honest. So tell us as if we have no idea. (laughs) Um, yeah, you're asking about how do you scale a personal contact, right? Yeah. So, um, the shop for us has been incredible. What we're finding and we're not unique in this, but our highest value customers are people who are experiencing us across channels Mm -hmm. and our, uh, highest value customers that we've acquired in the last 10 months have been people that we've, you know, over half of them are people that we've met in person first. And so we see an opportunity to, um, build out a really smart retail channel. Um, We've always envisioned this business being multi-category, multi-channel. It's gotta be a a hybrid of of traditional and digital retail. And, um, you know, the idea of opening a shop is as old as time, but shops look different today than they looked when I was starting my career, you know? And um, the ambition of, it's going to be a giant flagship and it's going to be this many square feet and we're going to fixture it. You know, it's, it's going to be designed by this person. That's, um, it's just not intelligent anymore. It's not mm-hmm. what the customer wants. Mm-hmm. Our flagship's digital, but we have, um, we do have a store. It opened, uh, we opened it a year ago um, in, in downtown, in Soho, in downtown Manhattan. And uh, it's a small footprint and there aren't mannequins in the window mm-hmm. and there aren't decals on the window and it doesn't look like your traditional you know this is this this is map of what a store should look like Mm -hmm. it's more like a a fort like it's like a hangout space that's got clothes in it for you to play dress up in it's like you walk in and the first thing you notice is um 
is that there's like a real comfy velvet sofa and a couple of chairs you can hang out and there's pretty much always someone hanging out on in that you know right when you walk in right it seems like the store isn't dead but mannequins are are out for sure (laughs) yeah that that i think is i'm i'm on board with that proclamation mannequins now i look in the window and it's it feels like Seeing someone wearing pantyhose. It's like, we don't really, we don't do, we don't need to do that anymore. Right. Yeah. And I think it's funny because 10 years ago, it felt like all these online only brands were going to completely overhaul the way that people shop in terms of whether they go to the store or not. Um, And whether they work with, with wholesale retailers. Uh, And obviously, you know, we wouldn't be here if retail wasn't changing, but do you feel like it kind of circled back around in, in terms of the fundamentals you know, they're, they're still there, but, but they are being approached differently. I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania and we did not have a shopping mall. And, uh, for me, um, the thrill was getting the J crew catalog because it showed great clothing. It was well-styled as a lifestyle. It was aspirational, but it felt accessible. I would fill out the little grid with your first, second, and third choices because in the eight weeks it took for you to actually get your package, they might have sold out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, what we're doing right now isn't that different. Um, We are... You know, we have a lifestyle brand that we're selling direct to consumer and it can reach you wherever you are. Um, The, you know, we just, we've learned more and we're responding to, um, uh, you know, people are shopping digitally instead or the, you know, and um, people are using space way more efficiently. And so on like a macro sense, you know, nothing in, nothing we're doing is, is that different or original Um, in when I walk down Fifth Avenue and I look around and I see, you know, the giant stores with 40% off everything in their window, it couldn't be clearer that there's an, an, a huge evolution happening right now. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, wh- how does this change the way you think about retail partners? Are they I'm, off the table? Um, I'm going to go back to the theme of independence. Mm -hmm. I think the best way forward in this environment, which is so competitive with so much uncertainty and there's so much, um, change still to happen. Uh, the best thing you can possibly do is control distribution of your brand. Mm -hmm. And, uh, really the best thing you could do is control the entire supply chain. Um, but that is the way forward. It's, 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 uh, it's a scary time to be in retail. And um, I think that is exactly the opportunity that AIR has as, as a brand um, to build something truly lasting. Mm-hmm. And, and so tell us about a little bit about the, uh, that supply chain, that level of control you have. Uh, you know, how did it evolve since the beginning? Who, like, who are you working with? And um, I, I think a big theme right now is this independent brand, the sense of control, how that feeds into the the supply chain and the production cycle, and then how quickly you can get things back to the consumer and start start the whole thing again based off that feedback. Yes. Uh, what does that cycle look like for you guys? Um, well, when we were first, when Jack and I were first talking about this brand, um, it was 2012, I think is when we were having our first conversation about what became, what was to become AIR. Um, the czarification of the world was at its absolute maximum. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at, you know, Zara is so genius, right? And the, um, the, 
the whole the whole supply chain, the turnaround, and the time to market can't be beat. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody's going to make fast fashion faster, you know, or right. fashionier. So right. the opportunity that we have is to do the exact opposite. Um, we want to create clothing that you're going to own for years, for seasons, that you're going to wear a couple times a week and get a lot of use out of for a long time. So for us, um, we are way more interested in a much, much, much longer product life cycle and a slower um, turnaround. So end-to-end, we're talking about um, suppliers to distributors, right? That's like the whole story. And um, for us, um, we focus on core product essentials that uh, that have a really long product a product life cycle. We're not selling things that are meant to last four weeks or six weeks on a shelf and then become marked down, end up in a landfill. So uh, we work with um, suppliers from all over the world, wherever we can get the best products. Our denim is all made in LA, and um, Jack and Lydia, our head of product development, work closely with the factories um, to create like really really gorgeous washes on really beautiful denim and you know but we'll do outerwear in new york or we'll do um silk in asia where we can get the best needle so we'll go anywhere in the world that we can source the best product best quality product Mm -hmm. and then um we distribute it ourselves so 80 percent of our business is direct to consumer we do have a small wholesale business um and uh for us though it's really important that we be able to um, connect directly with our customer. And I think that's what sets us apart. At the end of the day, you can buy. Um, the world doesn't need more product. The world, if you're creating stuff, it's got to actually add value to somebody's life. And, um, you know, I still remember years ago, Jack telling me, you've got to buy this pair of jeans, this vintage pair of jeans. It's a left-hand weave. It's got selvage. It's da, 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 da. I'm probably butchering the terminology because she's the expert. <laughs> like, I am yeah, not sure, the expert, but it's exactly. I got so excited and she said, oh, and there's not that many of them and this is really rare and this is why there's... Va- it wasn't the gene. It was her conviction and passion mm-hmm. for it and that became contagious. So every time I put this gene on, I felt like the coolest girl in the room. And um, it truly is, there's an emotional quotient. Yes, the product has to be great. That's table stakes. Mm-hmm. But the um, at the end of the day, it's almost like we're not selling clothes, we're selling confidence. That's what we want to be in the business of, of sharing with our community. Right. Uh, I, and I think that's the groundwork for the modern brand. So if you're looking at next year at your 2020 plan, if there's a, a shakeout, it's it for these direct-to-consumer brands that that just keep popping up um, every day, and and the VC money is kind of drying up. People are kind of getting smarter about where they put their capital. How do you plan to to survive that and evolve past it? Where does the strength lie? I think our opportunity is probably as um, brands that we grew up with uh, that aren't growing with us mm-hmm. thin out. Um, I think that's that's the lion's share of our opportunity. I think everyone rises with the tide. Obviously, we root for all of our friends, whether they're digitally native or more traditional. Like we want this to be a healthy economy for everybody because when you know this, when when the environment is healthy, then you know you get great pricing from mills, and you ha- you know the f- and you have factories to work with because they haven't gone out of business, and um, you have fit models to choose from because they are still being employed. You know when we all suffer when it's a tough climate. But I think the big opportunity is as these wholesale-based 
brands, um, you know, have a reckoning, you know, because they're not connecting directly with a customer and the product isn't created for, um, for you, Hillary, the product is being created for Bloomingdale's, you know, that's who that, you know, a lot of these brands see their customer as, and as sales suffer, the way to make your margin is to cut quality and customers aren't dumb they're smart and so why you know who cares if it's 40 percent off if the quality is 60 percent worse mm-hmm. and so i think our opportunity is really um to consistently deliver great product be unapologetically ourselves and connect with as many uh you met as many women who share this um these values as as we can mm-hmm. absolutely um, and you're almost out of time, but to wrap things up, do you think that it helps a certain level of self-awareness of, of the direct-to-consumer market today, especially now that it's more mature? Um, yeah, going back to like you're trying to figure out how to be yourself and to be everybody, how to be yourself around everybody else, you know, um, uh, it, it's, a, it's a funny balance. You want to be aware of the landscape. You want to be aware of how you fit in. And then there's also this like super important laser focus tunnel vision block it all out do what you believe do what's in your heart and surround yourself with people who want to do the same and so self-awareness is essential but um it's also really important um to be unapologetically dedicated to uh being true to yourself and I think that's something that my partners and I all share and all believe in, our team believes in, is if it's fun for us, you know, um, I don't really care what, like, you know, everybody else is doing or will think about it. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Um, great. Thanks so much for joining us, Maggie. Thank you for having me. Of course. And we'll be back next week with another episode. And be sure to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play and leave us any feedback you have.